Hello, you are listening to the Barristers Breakdown. We are here live in Macon, Georgia. You're listening to the street noise of Cherry Street and Poplar Street, I believe. And we are outside of Oliver's. We are here reporting second and Poplar Street. (laughs) Second and Poplar. (laughs) We are here recording on November 2018 Court of Appeals and Supreme Court cases. I'm Kendall Browning. I'm Scott Key. And here we go. Um, we have a surprise in a minute, too, by the way. <laughs> You're terrible at keeping oh, secrets. God. A little Christmas gift. <laughs> well, so there was only one Court of Appeals case that came out um, that I thought was noteworthy this month, and it was Shaw versus the state. It was a case about whether or not there was reasonable, articulable suspicion to stop a car when a police officer was pacing traffic and that car went around him. Um, the facts were... Wait, so pacing... Pacing sounds like some, like, this isn't a sex case. No, it's not okay. a sex case. It's a, it's a traffic case. So the my understanding of what happened was the police officer was trying to slow down traffic kind of manually by being in traffic and getting in front of cars and slowing down and no getting pass, into the next no lane and slowing cop. down. Nobody passes a cop car. Right. So that, that was the idea. So he was pacing traffic, slowing down, trying to get the cars around him to slow down, and three cars passed him. The fourth car was this gentleman, Mr. Shaw, and the police officer thought that was suspicious and then pulled him over. Um, the Court of Appeals ruled So, so he passed a police car? Yes. That's it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Who does that? No one. Right. Except for the three cars in front of him and Mr. Shaw. <laughs> um, so on appeal, the state... Let me guess, he had like five kilos of cocaine in the trunk. <laughs> no, I believe he was DUI. Okay. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, Mr. Shaw gets a pass because the state argued that the officer had reasonable articulable suspicion to stop him based on his illegal failure to obey an authorized person directing traffic. And the Court of Appeals said that that officer wasn't directing traffic. It wasn't even a clear traffic directive. Mere, mere Just, presence. Mere presence <laughs> is not enough. Um, so Mr. Shaw gets a pass on that one. It's very fact specific. Uh, I've never heard of an officer pacing traffic before. That may be something that they do in bigger cities, maybe not in Macon, Georgia. Um, but if it's something that you have, pay attention to it. It's Shaw versus the state. It was decided on November the 8th, and it was A19A1655. Fun stuff. I've been looking down Cherry Street and 2nd, and I haven't seen any cop pacing anybody. Yeah. Well, I saw one ambulance I tried to chase. Yeah. <laughs> So that's it. I mean, did they have incredible wheat beers at at Oliver's? Um, Okay, so surprise. Well, is there anything out of the Supreme Court that you found of note for November? No, a bunch of people got disbarred. That's about Uh, it. I mean, we could talk about that, but I mean, was I one of those? No, no, you're good. Generally, when generally the Gatnell membership decreases. No. (laughs) Beginning of the year. Yeah. No, no, just some disbarments and then a bunch of murder cases. Okay, so the norms. Yeah, yeah, murder cases, nothing good, nothing like a bunch of, for the reasons that follow, we affirm. That was the Supreme Court's theme. Okay. They, they did enough in October, thank you very much. Yes, I'm still recovering from that <laughs> traumatic event. All right, surprise. Okay, so we have a guest. Our first ever guest on the Barristers Breakdown, and it's, uh, I mean, we got a celebrity. We got a big one. I, well, I mean, she's little. She's little. But but <laughs> but she packs a good punch. She packs a good punch. Um, why don't you introduce her? All right. Well, we are sitting here with.
with the legendary, the infamous, Angie Coggins. From Hello! The, <laughs> from Hello, the, everybody in Radio Land! <laughs> from the Houston County Public Defender's Office. She is joining us today with our wheat beers to tell us about her 30 years of service at the Public Defender's Office. Former president of GACDL, which I think... I think 2017. We, I think we could mention that. Yes, okay, because we, it's in your resume. It's in your resume. It's on yes, writing. The resume that right. I've had for the, the last 30 years. That, so is, that does not mean that this podcast is in any way affiliated with GACDL or its logos or trademarks. At all. At all. At all. <laughs> we're, all just, right. we're just two former presidents of that organization. So what else is on your very impressive resume? Oh, you train people in the Republic of Georgia. We can talk about that. I do, along with several other fantastically skilled trial lawyers. In 2016, Bob Rubin reached out to Frank and Laura Hogue, Doug Peters, Jason Sheffield, Dick Rubin, who, shout out to Dick Rubin, founding member of the association with which this podcast is not associated. Correct. <laughs> In any way whatsoever. In any way, shape, or form. And, right. and Angie Goggins. And it might have been 2017. My memory is foggy. He had been contacted by this dude named Mike Turner. Mike Turner used to be a cop in Henry County, Georgia. And then Mike took a job with the United States State Department. And he was stationed in Tbilisi, Georgia, the Republic of Georgia. The real name of the country is Sarkatavelo. Take note, Sarkatavelo. <laughs> Mike was working with the INL, which is the International Narcotics Law Enforcement, blah, blah, blah. In 2012, the Republic of Georgia adopted a constitution that allows for jury trials. Prior to that, all they had were bench trials. So, easy to imagine, they had a very high conviction rate. In fact, they had a 99% not, not unlike this Georgia. Rate. Exactly. <laughs> Quite similar to yeah. our Georgia. When the Constitution was amended and adopted, because now Georgia was its own independent country, they realized they needed to start training people in how to conduct jury trials. So Mike looked around and he noticed that the prosecutors were being trained, the judges were being trained, and the police were being trained. But no one was taking care to train defense lawyers. I give Mike Turner great credit because he's a former lifelong law enforcement officer. But he realized the inequity of that situation. So he essentially wrote a grant, proposed this idea, it was approved, and when he got to go ahead, he contacted our Georgia Bar, who put him in touch with Bob Rubin, who was the then president of GACLA. So yes, it was mm -hmm. 2016. And began this process. At first, we all thought we were being punked. We seriously believed that this was a scam, some kind of joke, because we would get emails with misspellings and terrible sentence structure, all the things. Like, that, like, like when a Nigerian prince yes, needs you to park yes, some money in an exactly, account. Yeah. Exactly. So he can give you a million dollars. Mm -hmm. So Dick Rubin and I both were very suspicious because we had concerns about the 
grammatical errors and such. But turns out that was due to the translation problem and the, obviously the problem with communication between the language of Georgian and the language of our Georgia, which is English. In Georgia, they speak Georgian. There are only 13 alphabets in the entire universe. They have their own. They are one of 13 alphabets, so they have their own language. Only one-tenth of one percent of the world's population speaks Georgian. So there. Uh-huh. Anyway, turns out it was all for reals, and Bob began to put together this group, and we traveled to Tbilisi in... I think you went in 2017 in for the first time. February of 2017, yes, for the first time for kind of a exploratory mission to determine whether it was anything that the Georgian lawyers thought they might need or want. Resounding success. Everyone across the board said yes. In fact, one lawyer said, we need this training like we need air. Mm-hmm. Thus became the... Georgia to Georgia Criminal Defense College, and we began traveling over there doing a program similar to what we do here, which is the Bill Daniel Trial Advocacy Program. So we do a four-day intensive training from Wadir all the way through closing argument. We teach them themes and theories. We teach embracing the bad facts, facts beyond change. It's Okay. It's been an incredible, Here's my surreal experience. Here's my question about Georgian, because I, I, uh, I, I sometimes hang out with Judge Sutter, who I think is involved with that program. Yes, the judges are going out and, there. And um, he tells me that, that they have the English tradition of the defendants in the dock and not at the table with you. We have yet to see an actual trial. Oh, that's okay. And that is one of the things we hope to do in our next trip to Georgia, which will be in February of 2020. Booyah. Okay, so look, so that's your so so in your in your day job. So that's that's your that's your hobby. I don't even know how we got on this topic. Sorry, we we're supposed to be talking about 30 years as a public defender. So tell us about so <laughs> tell us about 30 years as a as a public defender. 30 years as a public defender. It's been You look so unjaded. I think I am mostly unjaded, Scott. I There are things that have That will be with me forever. There are cases, there are clients, there are moments that have caused me some level of jadedness. Uh (laughs) But overall, I want to continue to believe that justice is justice and that the right, just thing will happen in people's lives. Well, what's kept you going for 30 years doing this job? The love of what I do. I... It's so hard to explain. I'll tell a very cheesy story about how I, be, how I became aware of what I wanted to do with my life. I was in the eighth grade, and I was in a class called Youth in Law. It was all about the... Sort of like a civics class. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. eighth grade civics, but mm-hmm. it was about the juvenile justice system. We had a fantastic teacher. had all these great projects. One of the projects was to build a juvenile detention facility, and my dad and I got a poster board, and we drew out the facility, and we made things with popsicle sticks. It's one of my fondest memories with my dad. But we also had a mock trial, and in the mock trial, I got to be the defense attorney. 
course you I, did. <laughs> well, I had no idea, but it happened and my fate was sealed. I knew, I knew from that moment that I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to be a lawyer that helped the underdog. I didn't know then what was a public defender, but my whole goal from that moment forward was college, law school, help people. And that's exactly what I did. I went straight from high school to college, straight from college to law school. I started at the public defender's office in my third year of law school, and I'm into my 31st year there now. And I've never known you to be anything other than idealistic the entire time I've known you. <laughs> that's very kind. And a lot of people lose that. That's very kind. But you're I, still the eighth grade. Yeah, I mean, it is. And deep in my heart and my mind is that eighth grade girl who said I can make a difference I can make a change I can be there for someone when no one else will be there for that someone that's what keeps you young well that and Olay Regenerist <laughs> okay. okay now you know her secret I'm just kidding Olay Regenerist is too expensive for a public defender's salary <laughs> and have you been with Houston County the entire time Yes, I actually began at the Houston County Public Defender's Office in my third year of law school. And I've been there consistently for 30, I'm in my 31st year. I've worked with the PD clinic at Mercer Law School. And, yes, you have, and you've and, done a fantastic and, job and there. Ev and everybody, everybody's jealous of the kids. They, they, like the kids that go elsewhere are jealous of the kids that go to Houston. And the ones that go to Houston are jealous of the ones that get to work with you. That's very sweet. That humbles me. And it makes me very proud. Kendall is an amazing young lawyer. She has the passion, she has the drive, and she has been an integral part of the most recent group of interns at our office. And I relish that opportunity. People who have an interest in this, people who are curious about it. We had an intern, if, it's, if I'm okay to mention a name. Yeah, of course. He's a public defender now, or at least I believe he is. His name is Radford Bunker. You have to say it like that. Radford Bunker. <laughs> the third. I'm, oh. I'm watching it go to red right here. His, his, his family was like from the Bunker Hill Bunkers. But Radford was a very, and is still very, conservative person. He came to our office as kind of an experiment to see how things were for public defenders because he was so conservative and so prosecutorial minded. And yeah, we're good. Thanks, Ash. <laughs> he, he immersed himself in my world. He worked on some really significant cases with me. And I actually have a framed printout from Rad and another intern I had named Walt. They worked on a case with me. The client was convicted at trial. They helped me with the appeal. We got it reversed on appeal. And he printed the last page of the appellate decision wherein it says judgment reversed. And he wrote a very lovely comment to the effect of you gave us wings to fly. Like something about you know, mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. and 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 as far as I know, he's he's a public defender at this moment in time. I think he just started a new public defender gig. Congrats to him. Where? I am not sure. I saw it on Facebook. Okay, good. I don't do Facebook. But good for you, Radford Bunker. Radford Bunker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you work with a lot of you work with a lot of people that are interning or 
I mean, a lot of like really young people go into, um, you know, go into PD's offices or DA's offices. So, I guess if 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 you if you had to like, if if somebody came to you right now and they just they they're like in their first month as an assistant PD somewhere, or they just got out of law school and they just started their own office and they they just bought their high back leather chair. And they just they don't they they don't know what to do next. Like, what would what do you say? Like, what do you? What's your advice to those kids? Surround yourself with people who love you. Do your best to surround yourself with people that are like you. Maintain relationships that are healthy. Be unafraid. Be unafraid. Go in knowing that you're doing the right thing, you're doing what you're called to do, and when you have a bad moment or a sad event in your life, reach out. Reach out to other people who do this work. It, I have been sustained, reinvigorated, and maintained by members of GACTO. Mm -hmm. No association with this podcast. <laughs> But people who do the same thing we do understand the heartbreak, they understand the elation, they understand the frustration, they understand it all. And you need people, you need your tribe. So mm -hmm. make sure you reach out to your tribe. Mm -hmm. What about clients? Like how do you, I mean, I know that you carry like a, all public defenders carry a huge caseload. Um, and clients can be challenging. I mean, I mean, I know we love our clients, but but you know, when the when like you've gotten your when you've gotten your like tenth letter of the day from somebody at the jail, and they've been in the law library and they're telling you stuff to like they're drafting motions for you. Right. How do you maintain that and not just get beaten down by all of that? Patience. Oh, well, that and so that and like. The judge just screamed at you, and the DA said bad things about your client, and then your client's not being so nice to you either. Like, what in the world? Because like that, I, mean, I that have always maintained this philosophy: be kind to your client. You are the only person at whom your client can vent without consequence. If they yell at the judge, the judge treats them badly. They yell at the DA, the DA treats them badly. If they yell at a jailer, they get put in isolation. You are the only person at whom your client can vent without repercussion. So step into their shoes for a moment. Understand their fear, their confusion, their frustration, their anger, their sadness, their bewilderment. Understand all that. Don't misunderstand. You don't have to be abused. You don't have to take abuse from a client. In any given moment, you simply stand firm and say, look, I am doing the best job I can do for you. You gotta give me some space. You can vent all you want. I'm not gonna take it personally, but cut me some slack. And, and don't ever stand for actual abuse. I, I can only count, seriously, one moment in time, maybe two, where I was meeting with a client at the jail and the client became so 
abusive and so unrealistic that I just said, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving. I'm not going to stay with you in this moment. That's a beer truck, by the way. Hells yeah. <laughs> I ordered it special. <laughs> I'm not going to stay with you when you're in this state. I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. I'll come back when we're both in a better place and we'll talk. But don't be mean to your clients. Don't talk trash about your clients to other people, for God's sake. Certainly not to district attorneys. You have got to honor and respect the relationship you have with your client. Not too long ago, I was at a seminar and a young lawyer was talking about, he did one of those inspirational fives, mm -hmm. and he was talking about his interaction with clients. And he said one of the things he does to try to instill confidence and respect and trust is to say to his client, we are a team. The two of us are a team, so we have to work together to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. and I, I was really impressed by that, and I took that with me. So that's the day-to-day. -day. What about, okay, so let's take the same young law student who's just like finished the first trial, or maybe like, you know, the first trial where there's been a significant loss. Like you, you, you've stood next to somebody that the judges just said, um, you're going away and you're gonna be away for life without parole. Or heaven forbid, like you're, you're sentenced to death, or you know, you, you, you have like a, a thousand and thirty-five years to serve. Um, what gets you up, what, for thirty years, what's gotten you up to go back to do more of this the next day? I don't know. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know because there are those moments. There's, anytime anyone goes to prison, Scott, even if they deserve it, it's heartbreaking. For me, I don't know about other defense attorneys, but even when a client deserves it or it's merited, I shouldn't say that. Is that the right thing to say? Deserve? It's the proper it's sentence. It's like the, the proper person, sentence. The person yes. did it, and that's what the yes. sentence is. Yes, it's the proper sentence. But the, but the ripple effect and everyone else who is affected and touched. And you know, I'm looking down the street and the, on the other side of that building that I'm looking at is the federal courthouse yeah. <laughs> in the middle district of Georgia. And two summers ago, I tried a drug trafficking case here. And uh, it, was a, it was a CJA panel case. And we had a fairly reasonable offer on the case and the guy didn't take it. And we went to trial, yeah. and he got a notice that meant if you go to trial and lose, you're going to get life without parole. Ouch. And uh, it was a fairly unwinnable case, although I did keep the, ju the jury out for seven hours on wow. it. Um, and he got convicted. We came back for sentencing, and there was but one sentence, and that was life without parole. And uh, as much as I fought in that case, I mean, it, it, it was hard to not feel terrible yeah. standing ne next to somebody that was gonna like never see the outside of a prison. He had like a little boy who was like six years old. Yeah. And um, I know you get, I mean, that's a, that's rare because I don't like get a lot of cases where people are doing that kind of time. I know for the PD, for you know, in a PD's office, that happens fairly regularly. 
It does. Yeah. We, this, the state will often file the recidivist notice. Our clients have three prior felony convictions, so then they become subject to time without parole. And of course, Georgia's heinously barbaric sentencing guidelines for sex crimes. When you have somebody who's charged with an aggravated child molestation and they are facing 25 without parole, it's a, it is a devastatingly hard place to be, to, especially if the DA makes what is a reasonable offer. Mm -hmm. And you have to like say 10. to your client, right, this versus this, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And the client is insistent, I am not guilty, I did not do these things, and it's, it's a hard road. <laughs> but if the client says, I'm not taking it, I'm going to trial, then you do everything you can to prepare. You watch every videotaped interview of the alleged victim, you cross-reference that interview with the police reports, you develop your theory, you develop your theme, you develop your chapters across. You do everything you can do to give that client his or her day in court and give it the absolute best you have. If, it, if the jury says not guilty, that's fantastic. If they say guilty, you just hug your client, you hug the family, you go home and you cry. <laughs> and you cry for days and weeks and months and years after. There are, there are cases that I still carry with me that I feel like I failed my client. And there's nothing I can do about it now. But I, I think about them often and you know, wish you could turn back the hands of time. And, and often I think to myself, there really wasn't anything I could have done differently, but I, you still blame yourself. You will, you, you will blame yourself even, even with the best case you've ever tried in your life. If the jury comes back with a conviction, you, you, you can't help it. It's human nature. But you just have to focus on the next one and the next one and the next one. So it's a process every day. Every day. Develop your themes, like look at the discovery. Oh, yeah. Do your thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, Natasha Silas does a fantastic job of talking about theme and theory and how she had this one particular case. And oh, I know the they, case you're you going to talk the about. Case, the, <laughs> yeah. prison, the, the guy in the prison who choked the prison guard. Yeah. And they or or she either talks about that guy or Batman. That, yeah, Batman. <laughs> yeah. Theme after theme after theme until you hit on the one that feels right. But best theme, best theory, sometimes it were the evidence. Well, Shout out to Laura Hope. Well, we've talked, so we've talked about all the... That's the beer truck really is leaving. Offensive. The beer truck has Hi, left the truck. building. <laughs> and it's, and it's, a, it's a stupid wow. it's a stupid yingling truck. I know. And, that and we're outside like, of a brew pub. Look how quiet it is now. Oh my gosh. The yingling truck is gone. Wow. <laughs> wow, it's like uh, serenity now. Um, serenity now. So, um, Daily affirmations. So, but but that's the gloomy stuff. That's the bad stuff. What, what do you think the most rewarding things that you can that you've taken away from 30 years of doing this our office has been spectacular we are I, th I think we're a little bit unique and we're a little bit fortunate because we're a one county circuit uh-huh and we go to the jail every day every day and the public defender's office in houston county has generally had a fantastic su support staff paralegals admins 
interns. Interns. Everybody cares about our clients. They care about what we do. They care about justice and fairness. So, for example, if our paralegal goes to the jail and interviews a person who says, I shouldn't be here. I should not be, my probation expired six months ago. Mm -hmm. He knows to bring that file immediately to me. I then begin researching and pull in the admin that does probation cases and we get the clerk's file and we start looking and we determine this person is right, she's right. Her probation expired six months ago because the probation officer did an improper tolling or whatever the Uh case might be. And we get people out of jail. Mm-hmm. We get people out of jail when they shouldn't be there. I had a, <laughs> this is years ago. Haston County, long, long time ago when I first started there, the courthouse was downtown. We were in a separate building across the street and the jail was about three miles away. Then in 2003, we moved to our justice complex. So PD's office, DA's office, judges, clerk, everybody's in one building and across the courtyard is the jail. We would go to intake to do our jail visits. I went one day and I met with this guy. He was about six foot two. He was brown skinned. He had beautiful jet black hair, brown eyes. He was a Native American. He was from North Carolina, Native American, no missing it. And I said, hey, you're here on a bench warrant, which means you missed court date. And he said, I don't know why I'm here. I've never been in Houston County. I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. I, they pulled mm-hmm. us over in a traffic stop and they said, hey, you got this bench warrant. I said, okay, let's talk about this. Because even though I said earlier, we're always got to work with our clients, you have to be willing to mm-hmm. reach further. You have to mm-hmm. ask the next question. I said, are you sure? Like maybe you were driving down 75. I said, Houston County's notorious for pulling people over, giving them a citation, off you go, you miss your court date. He said, I've never been through this county, I promise you. This is back when we interviewed people at the jail at the intake area, which means there are officers, deputies on duty, jail staff, who have access to the records. So I take my six foot two, brown skinned, black headed client out. I said, wait right here, go to the front desk. I say to the intake officer, can you please pull the original booking photo and citation for this dude, we'll call him Scott Key. <laughs> pull, pull the original file mm-hmm. for Scott Key. Mm-hmm. They pull it, I open it, and there on the booking sheet is a man who is five foot two with red hair and blue eyes. Ah. And here's my client, six two, brown skin, black hair, same name, wrong person, wrong person. So we immediately got him out of jail. Now, mind you, he had to figure out a way to get back to North Carolina, North Carolina but he did it. But that that dude could have sat in jail a week, it's two interesting. weeks, a month, if we didn't take the extra step to say, I believe you, let me go further. It's interesting farther, to me that... that farther. Farther. Far, let me go farther. I'll, Thank you, It's interesting to me that when I... When I ask you for about your most rewarding moments from, you know, or the most rewarding things from 30 years of doing this, you know, it's not some acquittal. It's not something from like a from like a movie. It's literally 
the day-to-day helping people out with some administrative glitch. It is. Oh, I've had some fantastic moments where clients were acquitted and I was shocked and stunned and pleased, but yeah, the day-to-day. Paying attention to some little... Exactly. mm -hmm. Paying attention to detail. The things that, unfortunately, I think people forget and they they poo-poo. Yeah, yeah. I hear it every day. You're not supposed to be in jail. You Uh you hear that all the time. I'm not supposed to be here. I shouldn't be here. You got to believe that and you got to go with it. And you make a difference in people's lives. Okay, so if someone's listening to this and they're not a lawyer and they, they, which I can't imagine who that would be, but. That's my mom. Hey, mom, love you. Okay, and like. Hey, Sherry, love you. And somebody thinks, um, I don't understand public defenders, like, you know, why why do people get all these rights? Like. Like, like, you know, help, help me under, like, why? Judges ask that question, like, like too. The, uh, Why do you have all these you know, rights? You know, judges the, and the, DAs. You know, criminals get more rights than victims and oh. all that stuff. If, if, if you could sort of, if you could say anything to people that kind of don't know anything about this world or how this all works, what, what would you say? Read the Constitution. <laughs> What's left of it. <laughs> really, like, everybody in this world has the protection of the Constitution. People take it for granted. People who have never been in trouble take it for granted. People don't realize the Constitution doesn't just protect the guilty, I'm doing air quotes, the guilty. It protects the innocent. It protects all of us. It's there for all of us. So why would you quibble? Why would you have a hard time? Why would you debate whether the Constitution and the rights that it guarantees should apply to somebody who's charged with a crime. That's exactly why it's there. You know exactly that, why it's there. You know, and I can't, I can't tell you the number of friends and family who find themselves charged with some silly citation or arrested from some little And they're shocked. Shocked. Yeah. But they call me. Why are they, they treating me this way? Then they want yeah. me to help. Mm-hmm. And they want me to help, and it changes people's perspectives. And, I, Scott, I've never been able to understand district attorneys and or judges who say, well, your client knows he's guilty. Your client knows he's guilty. Why didn't he just plead? You know he's guilty. I say to them, you're right, I know, but prove it. This is not church. This is not moral court. This is legal court. Prove it. So what? if you think he did it. So what if I know he did it? Prove it. Bring it. Don't sing it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we can top that. That's that's good. I think maybe that calls for another Belgian beer. Uh, And I think that calls for us ending this podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, Happy New Year's, everybody. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Kendall. I love you, Kendall. I love you, too. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful... Scott, prior president. Hey, here's to Lawrence Zimmerman, incoming president of, the, of president a of a, of a, of a association local... which is not affiliated with this podcast. We here, here. we call it a local nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, we're signing off. Okay.